As previously mentioned in episode two, I spoke about how I would never miss a night out and I used the self-issued title of The Biggest Drinker to promote my intake and essentially justify it. Uh, a badge of honour, if you would. I was also involved in a lot of nights out since uni where I'd engage in events or certain scenarios which would enable me to showcase my talents, as it were. So I got a job when I was 22, which was working behind a bar, um, serving drinks, obviously, to people. My drinking habits did increase dramatically whilst working here. So for like instance, instead of taking tips as such, I'd get people to buy me drinks. Um, so I wouldn't take the money and put it in a pot like most people did. I'd, I'd have a drink with them. And my excuse was, you know, I feel like I'm part of their night out, giving them a bit of an experience. But really, it was just me wanting to get drunk. And it got so bad towards the end, even though I was only working Fridays and Saturdays. On a Saturday night, we used to get rewarded with a pint after a, after a long shift. And I'd be that drunk throughout the shift. I'd then have to request for a pint of water at the end of the shift and then drive home 25 miles to get back. Obviously, that was a horrendous decision to make. But at the time, all I was looking for was my fix. I do believe working in the industry encouraged drinking massively, being surrounded and exposed to alcohol constantly. So, for instance, the only places you could go after a late night shift were places that served alcohol. And also, when you would usually socialise with colleagues, it normally involved going out because when you were working, you are missing the opportunity to do so. You also, your sleeping pattern is normally reverse, also adding to the fact that you're only really awake when bars are open. Just maybe I am looking into this a bit too much and just seeing opportunities for myself to drink. However, I do feel for any staff members who may not realise they are potential addicts or sufferers. I generally believe companies should do more in their power to offer help and guidance and educate people on the problems of alcohol and what that can lead to. And it should be made just as clear as promoting drinks in the venue. Obviously, not everyone is this way inclined with alcohol. And for instance, some staff members may be bear witness to drunks on the other side of the bar and think well I don't want any part of that lifestyle but I do think others see it and maybe think oh, on their days off they want to you know experience that and join in the fun I've got to say I did enjoy my time there however it did allow me the perfect excuse to keep drinking and justify it without any questions asked so I'd regularly pour the wrong drinks to ensure I had something through the shift if I had an anxious episode or something, I'd just quickly pour a shot and go and have it in the back. It also, because of my big drinking persona, it meant that any wastage was happily gifted to me as well. I couldn't tell you exactly what I drank during a shift at work, but I could guarantee it was probably a lot of the time more than the people on the other side of the bar I was serving. Whilst working at the bar, though, I was also running a business full-time Monday to Friday. I used bar work as an excuse to not go out but I was obviously heavily intoxicated during my time there at first running both my jobs my drinking only occurred on the weekend at the bar but with work pressures commitment and crippling mental health issues my love for drinking to alleviate problems on a weekend slowly introduced itself on a daily basis the whole concept of a long shift at work deserves a reward took full force that's one of the most common of all excuses to justify drinking a long or stressful day. I must admit, at work running my business, as well as my drinking, it was all or nothing. I expected far too much of myself applying unnecessary pressure and unrealistic goals. However, I always managed to reach them. People and customers were actually in awe of my productivity and dedication. 
However, upon recent closer inspection, this constant avalanche of work I produced for myself was only to deter me from my own thoughts. It gave me no time to think. I didn't care for the money. I didn't care for the future. I had no concern, I just wanted to be busy. Obviously, when I returned home after a shift, the suppressed emotions hit, and the one thing I'd grasped through my experience of drinking is that it made me require less thoughts. I had escapism at work, and now I had escapism at home. So upon my arrival at home, a drink was needed to initiate the first step of my four-step program. Drink, not to think. As the drinking was not as regular, and at this point I only just started on a daily basis, my tolerance could be described as somewhat normal. To reach the side feeling of peacefulness at this time, it only required a couple of bottles of beer or cider. Over time, it became several bottles or cans to reach that desired level of incapacity to address problems. Upon one visit to my local supplier, being the corner shop 200 yards from my house, I noticed a new cider, a game changer if you will. Henry Weston Vintage Cider, weighing in at 8.2% and 4.1 units. Now, I'm not stating the brand and ABV as some kind of sick endorsement, but as a drinker, consumption must be calculated, as you won't want to be found out by appearing tipsy. Also, at this point, I knew what I was able to still function on, consume and be up the following day. This new find gave me in one 500ml bottle what three other cans offered me. This was huge. As I made this, what I thought to be amazing discovery, I had worked out only two bottles costing £4 was enough to suffice my fix at that period of time. Also, it was a lot less volume of fluid to consume, meaning less time to drink it, without my partner realising. Alex, for this I am truly sorry. Eventually, over time, more cider was required, but by this point I had mastered the ability to stomach two bottles on the walk back, discarding of one bottle practically outside the shop in a bin, and the other in a doglet of bin a hundred yards down. I also had to do this on an empty stomach because I found out the hard way it wasn't possible after tea. Obviously, I couldn't keep disappearing to the shop. I wasn't proud of what I was getting, and I couldn't come back with nothing. So each night, in my carrier bag, I'd have some treats for my girlfriend and housemates and chewing gum to mask the spell. Now, obviously, as always, over a period of time, my tolerance required more. But because of my desire to keep busy and applying unnecessary pressure to myself at work and intensifying it drastically, it caused me huge stress. And then it made it simple and easy to justify bringing a bottle of cider home. Even though I would have already had two on my structured walk. That one soon increased to two. A memory of mine was my partner picking up a bottle, completely stunned by the percentage. Obviously I played complete ignorance. Unfortunately for her, as stated before, she wasn't aware how calculated and finely orchestrated my plan and consumption was. Not to justify any of this, but my attitude to the relationship never changed. We had the most fantastic time together and I'll cherish every single moment. I was just battling my own demons in whatever way I knew how. I was just unfortunately superb at maintaining a sober disposition at this time. For anything to even be acknowledged, that though would eventually change. Unfortunately, as always, as the time slowly passed it made it hard to hide several bottles. I needed to reinvent my drinking. 
I needed something like the time I found the Henry West and the Strong Cider. And there it was right in front of me. Every time I would pay for the ciders. Behind the till, the spirit section. Obviously, I was used to drinking spirits and downing drinks on nights out and whilst working at the club. However, I'd never contemplated introducing it on a daily basis. And even when I did, I didn't see it as a problem. I just considered it as a medicinal ingredient to relieve pressure and anxiety. My go-to was a 35 centilitre gin or whiskey, the cheapest possible. The ideal thing for me as a drinker trying desperately hard to hide it was the 35 centilitre flask could easily be concealed upon your person. I was extremely concerned at first that if I was to hug a housemate or my partner, they would feel the bottle slightly protruding from my inside left pocket of my jacket. You soon become overconfident and carefree once you've done it a few times, raising no suspicion. I couldn't have had my famous 200-yard cider at this time, though, because I wasn't convinced I could have them start the spirit and then be able to maintain a sober look with what I had on me already. Also, at this point, I was still going to work, so I had to bear that in mind. And finally, I wasn't prepared to chug a bottle of spirit on such a short trip. That would have been too far. Fast forward two years and none of that fucking mattered. My technique to consume was simple, effective and efficient and what I thought to be unnoticeable. I've always suffered with my stomach and I think a lot of these issues probably stemmed due to alcohol abuse. However, with these problems it meant I would have to use the toilet for 15 to 20 minutes each evening. This also meant it was the perfect amount of time to consume what I needed. Now, with gin, this was complicated as I needed a mixer or a chaser, so I used lemonade. It just meant then I needed to smuggle that into the bathroom as well, so a bottle of lemonade as well as a pint glass to mix the liquids. Once I was in, I was relieved. I would play music or something on my phone, YouTube, to mask out the sound of a bottle opening or clinking. At this particular time, I'd pour half a pint of gin and half a pint of lemonade, so the smell wasn't too strong. I'd also educate myself with discovering online it takes 17 minutes for alcohol to hit your system. That means 17 minutes till heaven. I'd then have to get up and compose myself, clean my teeth and get into bed for an early night. Just in case on this first attempt of trying spirits it was too much to handle and then I could pretend to be asleep. Other techniques I'd composed to hide the alcohol was going to the shop, buying Sprite, pouring it away and filling it with gin and this to the untrained eye was just a bottle of Sprite. I can remember even handing over the bag for my partner to get bits out of with the gin Sprite concoction in there knowing she wouldn't chose it. This just meant that I was consuming neat gin. This didn't matter as my tolerance got higher though and if it wasn't gin I'd happily pour the contents of a 35 centilitre whiskey into a highball glass which fits it all and do it in one. I'd then just sit there, agitated, waiting for the warm rush up in my face of the alcohol hitting, and then I knew it was time to go to bed. There was one house we all lived in, which was close to a co-op, so that was then my go-to shop. However, the problem became apparent by the time we'd moved there, that the spirit was no longer enough, and I had to re-tag in my old faithful cider as an aperitif to my spirit. The problem was, the route was new and no longer calculated so it had no bins to dispose of my bottles. 
So now I had bottles of cider to discard of and empty bottles of gin from my decanter and act with the Sprite. The only place where I thought I could hide was behind the seats of my work van. I always remember one time my vehicle went in for an MOT and my father called me uh, stating how embarrassing it was for the mechanics to find all of these bottles. Never took the time out to acknowledge it may have been a problem. But then again, what was he supposed to think? Even at this stage, I didn't acknowledge it as a problem. All I knew was it was concreted and structured into my daily routine. Regarding my parents, if the thought of concealing alcohol was too much or my anxiety was particularly high on that day, I always had a free ticket to drink back at theirs before my problems were discovered. I didn't particularly come from a family of heavy drinkers. However, I would say they were frequent drinkers. So whenever I visited home, it wasn't unusual to squeeze a few drinks in a weekday. I don't blame this on my addiction. It was just an easy excuse for me to drink. The beauty of it was I didn't need to hide anything at home. It was a more relaxed drinking experience without judgment. I still hid drinks, but I didn't need to hide them as much. I was able to justify drinks with playing on the Jolly Big Drinker card, which entitled me to exactly that, a big drink. Again though, this is nothing that our society or culture looks at and acknowledges it as a problem. If anything, larger drinkers are decorated with fake honours to celebrate their accomplishments. But for me, it was nothing more than a simple get-out-of-jail-free card. As my tolerance began to increase even more, though, I needed to reevaluate how I would be able to consume my alcohol. So then I introduced excuses to go to bars, pubs and restaurants to drink. It's got to be said, though, at this point, whoever I did go out with, I genuinely enjoyed my time with them. However, them being there allowed me to drink, which was my ultimate goal. So at this point, I did enjoy the company and socialising, but ultimately, I was there to fuel my desire. But being out and about seemed to normalise and rationalise the drinking in my own head. Now, if I'd been out and I didn't get enough units to fulfil my fix, I still then had a plan in place for drinking at home. I had safe places. Hiding spots people wouldn't even think of looking. So I could hide my whiskey, my gin, my cider and know it was safe. And I know I then had something. If I had nothing at home, that's when I had serious issues. But with working still, I was able to fund my addiction. Some of my safe places were as follows. Inside an electric meter cupboard in the downstairs toilet. Inside an old coat jacket on a hook which was never worn. Bottom of a washing bin inside the bathroom. My personal proudest place was shameful to admit that but it was behind the bottom of a sink in between the u-shaped base and then also the top of kitchen cabinets if and when these drinks were finished i had to make sure they were then replaced with full containers and that involved smuggling them out and back in again 
and then most of the empties found themselves gathering in the back of my work vehicle. Any alcohol in the house, bought as gifts, etc. at this point as well, was not safe. With these gifts, I often had to improvise to make it look like it hadn't been touched. So for me, gin was easy. I could fill that up with water. Although uh, over time it did resolve in condensation inside the bottle, which was hard to rectify. A once challenging attempt for me was recreating um, Zabroska bison grass vodka, which had a slight yellow tinge. But yet again, I somehow managed to accomplish this with water and a slight dash of apple cider vinegar. I remember the time these were found and it still upsets me now. We was all having a meal with some beautiful friends and then the gin made its way upstairs, which was obviously just water and I was found out. I broke down and I knew I wasn't myself and I realized that and I admitted I might have an issue, even though I probably didn't truly believe it at that time. I just was aware that it may not have been normal behavior. Even post this embarrassing and humiliating encounter, it was too late. I had reached a point of addiction with no inclination at all. All I took from that moment was that I just needed to reevaluate how I drank, which was answered by going out more in social environment, as it deemed to me more acceptable to be out with others and not by myself. As stated, I still drank at home. I just had to be more meticulous with hiding my shame. This whole process developed over six years I went from the big drinker in the group to the lonely, excessive addict. I say this not to worry people, but just to address or consider their weekly intake and the progression on it. I'm by no means a sober advocate, because if you can drink and get away with it, that's completely fine. I am concerned primarily for underlying addicts mental health sufferers who use alcohol as an escape and uses it as a necessary coping strategy rather than for it being social pleasurable gatherings. Eventually, despite it being manageable to carry on my everyday life, even with crippling anxiety, depression and intrusive thoughts, my ability to function doing that soon dwindled. I remember one night at a bar I used to constantly vacate and I still actually do with a fresh new sober look because the people I've met there became family. They've helped me every single relapse. Anyway, I was at the bar there and I was chugging quad whiskies to what I thought was fun and impressing the crowd but little to them it was just suppressing my demons. It was too much, especially on a school night. I even carried on the drinking when I was home from one of my safe places. When I awoke the next day at my normal time, I stumbled around, getting ready for the work. 
trying to locate all of my clothes. I got ready, got changed, got halfway down the stairs, and that's when it hit me. I had the most terrifying and disturbing panic attack. I, I couldn't shake it, and I didn't know where I was. The reality was blurred, I was shaking, I was sweating, and I actually vomited, and it wasn't because of the alcohol or the hangover, just from the pure power of the anxiety. This wasn't unusual, although it did become a norm later on, but the effects of this particular episode was greatly intensified to any I've ever had before, to the point of no return. I eagerly grabbed a 70cl bottle of vodka from the top of the kitchen cupboard and poured myself a pint, an amount I'd never consumed in one sitting. I shakenly downed the entirety of the glass without gipping or even noticing the vulgar taste of the cheap vodka. I collapse on the sofa and I wake up to my girlfriend visually upset and I can't even string a sentence together. I'm then collected by my parents and taken home. No one was really aware of the serious issues but now I'm finally found in a state where I can't hide anything. During this first trip back was when I had my parents at any hour of the day or night to bring me whiskey. It could be any time in the middle of the night, even though they had work. It was just because every time soberness began creeping through, I was engulfed by that same panic attack. And this is something I had to keep at bay and prevent it from happening. So right now I've reached a point where there was no more hiding my drink, only dictating when I received it. This visit back to my parents was the same visit when I started to go sober for the first time and when I counted and racked up 16 hours. I went to the treatment centre and they informed me about the story of the alcoholic and the heroin addict. After this visit, the lady had heard my intake and recommended I got eight cans and keep drinking when I needed to. I then cried every time I picked up a drink. I'd actually reached a point where I thought I was getting better, but now I was aware I was an addict. I was faced with the fact I had to keep drinking, lower my intake gradually, or face potential death. As bad as this was though, it also gave me another reason to justify my next drink and I could use that to manipulate my way of attaining it. At this point of being taken home, I wasn't eating. Alcohol had consumed me and I didn't want anything to interrupt or block my consumption. I soon found out as well also I couldn't drink the lager recommended because as my stomach had shrank I could literally not stomach the volume of fluid and for that reason it wasn't strong enough to fulfil my needs and it led to the worst and horrendous withdrawals. At this point wine was introduced. In this episode I'm not going to go into huge detail about each and every one of my nine relapses yet. 
I will save that for more of an explanation of how and why this happened and the effects of withdrawals. But from the first visit home to my last and most recent relapse, the consumption had vastly increased. I know each and every time I've had a relapse, it's wrong. But I also truly believe it's been out of my hands. In relapses, I often requested for bottles to be left in my room or on my windowsill so I could visibly see the damage and what I was doing to myself. This leads me to January the 5th, 2020, when an intervention had occurred. I had no food in my system for three weeks, and all to be seen in my room was 72 green bottles standing there, just over a week's worth. I agreed to go, but wouldn't leave until I'd had half a pint of wine. I truly believe they caught me at the right time.